Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. Thanks for joining us today. You know, it's been awesome to receive your feedback that these podcasts help you see and grow and gain energy from the messages that we share. And because you give us your time each week, we want you to know we feel a responsibility to share messages that are of worth to you. I hope today you hear something that you can use to help you get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to that potential. And when you're done listening today, if you find some good ideas here, be sure to share this podcast with a friend. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the times in our life when we have to be patient, when we have to wait, and how we can make all the difference during these times when we have to wait. You know, whether you're a sports fan or not, you have to be fascinated by the fervor and excitement that so many people have in their favorite sports team. As evidence, the sales of team apparel with your favorite sports logo on it was $49 billion last year in the United States alone. The most sales are for NFL teams. Americans love football. Each year, the NFL brings in $18 billion. And Canadians are just as crazy about hockey. Even the Canadian government gives millions to support the Canadian hockey operations. And the Canadian taxpayers, they love it. Physical manifestation of our sports craze is evident in the stadiums we build. SoFi Stadium in Southern California cost over $5 billion. And many sports arenas hold hundreds of thousands of fans. Do you know the highest attended sporting event in history? The Indy 500 at the Indianapolis Speedway, where 350,000 people gathered for the event. A horse racing event in Japan attracted 223,000 people and almost 200,000 gathered for a soccer game in Rio de Janeiro. Well, several years ago in Sheffield, Yorkshire, England, a semifinal soccer match between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest was scheduled on April 15th. The sold-out game was expected to attract 53,000 fans to the Hillsborough Stadium. And because of the passion fans each felt for their respective teams, the organizers directed each team's fans to enter from different sides of the stadium. Now, the stadium wasn't like a baseball game in the United States in which there is assigned seats for each ticket. Instead, the supporters were admitted into pens, areas enclosed by high fences with a narrow gate. And some of the pens had seats, but two of the pens were standing room only. And because of the heightened security, the admitting guests from outside to inside the stadium was slower than normal. As the start of the game approached, there were still 10,000 fans outside the stadium trying to get in. And these anxious fans were pushing their way in. Well, the Yorkshire police chief didn't have much experience policing soccer matches. So to ease the unruly crowd, he ordered the exit gate to be open to allow guests to enter more quickly. Immediately after opening the exit gates, almost 2,000 fans flooded the gate, went down the main tunnel that emptied into the standing room only pens. The problem was the police chief didn't communicate to the officials inside the stadium to expect an influx of fans. So the people that entered the pens first were standing up against the fences, 
and more and more fans entered forcefully into the pens, and those that were in front were pressed up against the fence with nowhere to go. And the force of the pressing crowd was so great that those in front were being crushed to death. As the game started and fans in the stadium started to cheer, the fans trying to enter those pens became more excited and started pushing people in front of them in a rush to enter. As a result, the force against the people inside the standing-only pens became fatal. Many couldn't breathe. They suffocated. Others were injured. Some tried to escape by climbing over the fences into the adjoining pens. But 10 minutes into the start of the game, the referee was told to stop the game, and the officials tried to stop the press of the crowd. By the time everyone was pushed back, 96 people were crushed and killed. The youngest was a 10-year-old boy. In these crushing incidents, the most common cause of death is asphyxiation or the inability to get oxygen. Now, believe it or not, there are a surprising number of these crushing event deaths. Many years ago at Victoria Hall, at the end of the show, an announcement was made that children with certain number tickets would get a prize at the door when they left. Worried about missing out on the treats, many of the estimated 1,100 children in the gallery hall surged towards the staircase leading downstairs. But at the bottom of the staircase, the door only opened inward, and it had been bolted so as to leave a gap only wide enough for one child to pass at a time. The children surged down the stairs towards the door, and some children fell in the process. But the pressure behind caused more children to fall on top of them. Those on the ground and those trying to get through the single door were crushed to death by the weight of the crowd behind them. In total, 183 children died. In the last 12 months, 490 people have died in similar accidents at soccer games, parties, and political rallies. Well, it's curious, isn't it? Why we can't wait. Our impatience in wanting to get where we're going and doing what we want to do to see immediately what we want to see can cause us to ignore the impact of our actions on other people and often on ourselves. And it seems that we, as a people, are getting less and less used to waiting. But it would surprise you how much of your life is spent on waiting. Waiting in line at the airport for appointments, waiting for others, for technology, for our children, and the list goes on and on. And if I added up the, all the time I spend waiting at soccer games and dance rehearsals before meetings or church or other events, I estimate I wait on average about one to two hours a day. This is about 8% of your life. So, if you live to be 100 years, you will spend eight years waiting. So, it seems we need to think about getting good at waiting. We need to get good at patience. Now, in trying to explain patience, some psychologists have described it as a personality trait. And I'm not sure I agree with this. I would characterize it more as an emotional state. Sometimes it is an emotion that causes us to be impatient. A study published by the Research Center for Behavioral Economics found that less patient people had lower credit scores and higher loan default rates. In the same journal, researchers showed that patience is strongly correlated with per capita income, meaning patient people earn more money. And patience is also strongly correlated with wealth. Patient people are also more wealthy. Why is that? 
Well, perhaps patient people are better at delaying gratification in favor of long-term returns. They're willing to forego instant pleasures and instead invest in favor of long-term rewards, such as starting their own business or pursuing an education or saving for retirement. Perhaps they avoid emotional impulsive actions that keep them from making mistakes. Whatever the outcomes of patients, the ability to wait patiently is a skill that can benefit you and me, but it always isn't easy to develop. So, What exactly is patience? Years ago, I heard this definition of patience from a speaker I admire, and here it is. Patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we are waiting. You see, the typical definition of patience is that narrow definition to simply wait. But patient people don't just wait. They have intention, action, hope, and expectation while they're waiting. They're living with faith and disciplined behavior. In other words, they wait, but they wait engaged. Let's say that you're building a business or raising a challenging teenager. You know that waiting is one of your most useful tools, that over time, businesses grow and teenagers mature. But during this time, you don't just wait and let things take their natural course. You're working your business and refining your skills and helping your teenagers improve. You aren't just hoping your child gets smarter, but you're actively shaping the path that they could walk, working to help them open their eyes to the reality of life and who they could become. I know many of you listening to this podcast today are dealing with a health challenge. Perhaps you're going through chemo to treat cancer, and you can't rush your treatments. They take time. What will you do while you wait? Perhaps you are dealing with a persistent injury. What will you do while you wait for it to heal? Perhaps you need to lose weight and know it will take time. You didn't put on the weight in a day and it won't come off in a day. What do you do while you wait? Well, this isn't an easy thing. For decades, I nursed and dealt with chronic back pain resulting from an accident I had as a young man. I had recurring extreme sciatic pain that would return over and over again. Finally, I made the decision to have back surgery. And after the surgery, I wanted the pain to be gone immediately. It wasn't. The doctor said it would take up to a year. At the outset, I worried and fretted that the surgery wouldn't solve my pain. I wanted to run and exercise, and I was extremely frustrated, and I was having a hard time being patient. Then one day, I was reading in Scripture in the book of John. There's a story there of an infirm man who had been handicapped for 38 years. And as I read, I put myself in the place of this infirm man. I too had dealt with my injuries and pain for years. I was infirm. And I felt like this story was a little bit about me. Well, the man sits by the pool of Bethesda waiting for healing and hoping for a miracle. But he just sits. And when he's asked why he just sits there, he makes an excuse. And it's clear that he's just waiting, not doing anything but lying there in his bed of excuses. In fact, he's moved his bed right there at the pool, and his excuses have become his prevailing mindset and place of living. As I read, I asked myself, wow, have I done that? Am I lying here in my circumstances and letting excuses prevail? Well, in the story, Jesus finally turns to the man and says, if you will be made whole, then rise, take up your bed, and walk. 
it was as if he was speaking to me in my day. He was saying, if you want to be whole, meaning if you want to feel better and become who you should, then rise, take up your excuses and walk. So that day I decided while I was waiting for my surgery to heal, while I couldn't run and I couldn't be as active as I wanted, while I couldn't do everything I wanted to do, while I still had pain, I could walk. I could do something. So I started to walk. Every day I would lace up my shoes, put in my earbuds, turn on a podcast and walk. And this became a bit of a metaphor for me. When I get into situations in which I don't have full control, that will take some time. I walk, so to speak. You see, there are spaces and time in which God gives you this space to see what you will do with it. Will you just wait or will you walk? Will you do something? And this is carried over in many ways in my life today. I, like you, have gaps in my day, but I've learned to fill those gaps. And over time, depending on what you do in the waiting times, the gaps in your day, you and I can both make a remarkable you and me. For example, if you have 15 minutes in between appointments, you can listen to a podcast, clean up your messages, return calls to people, reach out to someone who needs encouragement, plan your next meeting, write a quick note to your kids or grandkids, or learn a language. Right now, I'm learning a new language in the gaps in my day. It's easy today to do this because there's so many digital tools that make it easy. Whatever you do, here's the point. In the big things and little things of life, it's what you do while you wait that matters. So let's explore the skill of waiting in the right way. Let's say you're parenting a troubled teen. To one degree or another, I have been one and have had a few of my own. And let's say your teenager is grumpy and moody and lacks motivation. Their choice of friends isn't the best of late. You try to talk to them, and they don't want anything to do with you or your advice. So you know this isn't an overnight fix, and you may not be able to do it on your own. So you pray. In a way, you're seeking a miracle, but nothing comes. Days pass, and you're still not able to reach your teenager in a way that helps them change. You wait and patiently pray and hope. Now, you could simply wait and be patient. But remember our definition of patience. Patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. So what could you do? Well, you could be positive yourself, lose your own moodiness, be a source of positivity, be calm and listen, cool it on the advice for a while, serve and help make their life better. Behind the scenes, help your teen gain greater faith, pray with them, and a host of other things. You see... There's a difference between parents who just wait and parents who wait engaged. And in truth, in anything, it takes time to grow. Perhaps in business, you're recruiting new business partners who don't say yes right away. It takes time. Friendships take time to develop. Kids grow at their own pace. And what you do while you're waiting during those times does make all the difference. And waiting in the right way is more difficult because the world is conditioning us to never wait. You see, there's a difference between parents who just wait and parents who wait engaged with the right mindset. You know, I think in our world today, we've gotten out of the habit of waiting. Today, we have instant shopping online. 
And when we go to the store, we can't stand waiting in line anymore. We hate waiting in traffic. And if we do have to wait, we have a hard time occupying our thoughts, so we look for our phone to be entertained. We have instant banking, drive-throughs, car shopping, and a host of other hurry-up-and-do-it-now things in our life. But as any gardener will tell you, and I would add any parent or successful business owner will tell you, the cycles of nature and people and business require patience. You can't just plant a seed and expect it to flower the next day. You can't tug on the leaves or unfurl the bud to hurry the process. Even a fast-growing vegetable like a radish requires time. And what I've learned is this. If I can be patient, even patient for a day or two, I make better decisions. It gives time for emotion, reaction, and overthinking to diminish, so decision-making can be more objective. When we defer to make a better decision, we also learn to worry and stew less. We realize time has its purpose and can set aside our anxiety and approach things in a thoughtful manner. It gives us time to worry less. As Mark Twain once said, the worst troubles I've had in my life are the ones that never happened. You know, I learned this from my children. They worried and worried about things that were likely going to be solved in time. If they failed their first ACT test, well, there was a second and they had to wait six months to take the test again. But during that time, they could study and prepare while they waited. If they had a fight with a friend, waiting and being kind in the meantime usually led to a good outcome. And helping them learn to wait helped me learn the same. As one author wrote, God sends us children for a purpose other than to merely populate the human race. It's to enlarge our hearts to make us unselfish and full of kindly sympathies and affection, to give us higher aims, and to enable us to have hope while we wait. You know, sometimes we think we have waited long enough. It's hard because in the grand design, some of us are tested not just by how well we wait, but how long we can endure waiting. Ryan O'Toole is a woman's professional golfer. She grew up in California graduated from San Clemente High School. She attended UCLA on a golf scholarship, hoping that she would launch into a successful pro career after graduating. Well, she did graduate, and in 2009, launched her pro career. In her first year, she finished 73rd at the qualifying tournament and didn't make it to the LPGA. The next year, the same. All the while, she knew she was one of the best golfers around, but the breaks never seemed to come her way. Year after year, 10 years of struggling, trying, sometimes getting close, but never a top finish. She golfed almost 230 tournaments. Finally, in 2021, she decided that it wasn't worth the wrestle, and at the end of the year, she would retire and move on in her life. It's a lot to be constantly on the road, traveling, lack of sleep, always packing your suitcase. And it seems that 10 years of trying was good enough, right? But when the end of that year came, she decided to wait a bit longer, to focus on her game, to find joy in the work, and to give her dreams a little more of a chance. Finally, last year, the spectacular Dumbarney Links on the North Shore of the Firth of the Fourth in Scotland, Ryan golfed the event of her career. She won her first LPGA Tour event. 
But she said it wouldn't have happened if she hadn't had her mindset that she developed over 11 years. Why? Because at that event, she approached things differently. As she entered the final round in the lead, she didn't overthink things, something she would have done as a younger golfer, but the years had taught her patience. She said, I just trusted my caddy to guide me to whether we needed to lay up or get aggressive, stay patient or not. I realized I'm content. The hours and the grind and the heartache this sport brings, the constant travel for this moment is worth it. And that's the way it is with patience. Patience is an amazing teacher. And if you, like Ryan, are willing to stay in the wait, wait, working on your game, even if you feel like giving up today, tomorrow holds great things for you. Next, when you give yourself time, you think better. And I've noticed I perform better. In NFL football, there's this theory that time will negatively affect the opposition. Here it is. As you know, a field goal is when a kicker kicks the ball through the goal post's uprights. Kickers often miss. In fact, they miss 30% of the time. So in the heat of the game, oftentimes when the kicker runs onto the field to kick a field goal, the opposing team will call a timeout. And the theory is that if the kicker stands around for five minutes having to think about the kick, feeling the pressure of the moment, they will somehow be impacted by the pressure and miss their kick. Well, it's a common practice, and most coaches continue to ice the opposing team's kicker by calling timeout. However, the statistics show it doesn't work. In fact, with more time, the kickers who are iced are more accurate than those who are not forced to wait. The reason? Well, the kicker has time to fully visualize the kick, to get his bearings, to clear the ground of potential slick spots where he could slip and prepare mentally. Again, when you prepare and work while you're waiting, the outcome improves. So here's the point of this podcast today. While you wait, if you wait well, you can make a difference. While you wait, you can set up better outcomes. While you wait, you can make a better you. So next time when someone asks you to be patient, see it as an opportunity to get better. Next time you have to wait, use that space and time to change the outcome. Years ago, I heard this quote, and it has stayed with me ever since. It's by St. Francis, and it says, while we have time, let us do good. I do believe that God has given us seasons in our life, and some of those seasons are seasons in which we have to wait for the good thing that we're seeking. But in that season, I think he's testing us, watching us to see if we'll do the most good we can while we wait. You know, Bill Wilson met his wife, Lois, in the summer of 1913, 100 years ago. Bill's parents left him when he was a child, and he was raised by his grandparents. His grandfather, an alcoholic, stopped drinking when he had a spiritual experience atop a mountain. His grandfather never drank again. But for Bill, it wasn't so easy. When he joined the army, he started drinking. And when he returned home to New York, he kept drinking, often until he passed out. On business trips, he hid his addiction, but it soon caught up with him, and he was fired from his job. Wilson was committed to uh, hospitals four times. There, his doctors told him that his condition was a medical condition, but they also told Bill that he would eventually die from his alcoholism unless he changed. 
When Bill was committed to the hospital his fourth time, he realized the previous three times had resulted in very little change. So this time, while he waited in the hospital, he vowed to spend his time working to find a way to lift himself from his self-inflicted prison. While there, an old drinking companion named Ebby visited him. Ebby told him that he had become sober and remained so because he had turned to faith, to God, and attended an evangelical group regularly. One night later, Bill said he had a manifestation. A white light inspired him to quit drinking. So after his stay in the hospital, in his attempt to remain sober, he found waiting and resisting almost impossible. Then he began to work with other alcoholics. And this had an incredible impact on him. He felt like God had given him this purpose. And with the time that he had left, he wanted to make a lasting impact to help others. This purpose gave him strength to stop. The fellowship in which he was working started to promote Bill's program for sobriety. Bill incorporated the 12 steps of recovery, or traditions as he called them, into a program and Alcoholics Anonymous was born. All of this happened because Bill decided to make the best of his time while he waited for heaven's help. And in that waiting, he found his answer. Now, it occurs to me that you and I, like Bill, are likely waiting for heaven's help. We have challenges that may seem too big to tackle. So we wait for direction or solutions or miracles. But all the while, if we could begin to do something good while we wait, the miracle is likely forthcoming. And I believe what separates the happy and more successful people from the rest is their ability to seize the time in which they have to wait and make the very best of it. So as you think about your life and circumstances, while you are waiting for a spouse to change, a son or a daughter to come to their senses, a job opportunity to come about, a business to grow, a business partner for your business, health to return, or a habit to be changed, Whatever that might be in your life, ask yourself, what can you do while you're waiting? And as you do, it's important to remember the saying, have patience with all things, but first of all, with yourself. You can't do everything today, but you can do something. Do that something. And as you do, the size of your challenge or habit or health issue will become smaller. You know, one author tells the story of a surly teenage boy who was struggling with the diagnosis of childhood diabetes. He was acting out, not eating properly, not taking his medication. Then one day, he came to the doctor's office smiling. He'd had a dream. He told the doctor, in my dream, I saw a statue of a young Buddha. Just looking at it made me feel peaceful. Then out of nowhere, a dagger came from behind me and went right into the heart of the Buddha. I was shocked. Then, as I watched, upset and angry, the Buddha began to grow. He grew and grew until he was the size of a giant. The knife was still there, but compared to the Buddha, it was now only the size of a toothpick. Time, and the work we do with that time, will enable us to grow. And from our new perspective, we will realize that what may seem impossible at first is actually possible. As we grow, our challenges shrink, become more manageable. And perhaps God is patiently waiting for us to grow so we can see that he provides miracles by not shrinking our problems, but growing us 
to take on those problems. If you're patiently waiting, do what you can while you wait. And I'm certain you are in the circumstances you are in for a reason. And perhaps that reason is to grow, to gain more empathy for others, or to gain strength. Remember, you are filled with immense potential. And yes, even while you're waiting, you can do great good for yourself, your family, and other people. Remember, to be in a hurry because of emotion or unfounded urgency can often result in poor decisions. So, be willing to be patient. And remember that patience isn't waiting. It's how you behave while you're waiting. Do all you can in the gaps in your day. Make your waiting the best ever. If all you can do is walk, take up your excuse bed and walk. And you will find your legs, your pace, your cadence when you are walking. And remember, time is one of God's best tools to help you win in life. Lean into waiting with faith on Him and watch. You will rise to walk, to run, to travel your best life. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.